Welcome to season two of the First Prez podcast. Last season was titled Gathered and Sent. It was all about our purpose and mission, being both gathered as the church to equip and encourage one another and sent to be the church in our neighborhoods, schools, and workplaces. This season, we're focusing on the five values that guide all of our decisions as a church. We believe that we are called to be disciple-making disciples of Jesus, who are biblically literate, spiritually formed, mission-focused, and gospel-fluent. So welcome to season two, Values and Direction. This is the Sermon on the Mount from the message. Let me tell you why you're here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. And if you lose your saltiness, how will people ever taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and you'll end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in this world. God is not a secret to be kept. We are going public with this. As public as a city on a hill, if I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. And now that I've put you there on a hilltop and on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. Now, don't suppose for a minute that I have come to demolish the scriptures, either God's law or the prophets. I'm not here to demolish, but to complete. I'm going to put it all together, pull together all of it in a vast panorama. You see, God's law is more real and lasting than the stars in the sky, and even the ground at your feet. Long after those stars burn out and the earth wears out, God's law will be alive and working. And trivialize even the smallest item in God's law, and you will have only trivialized yourself. But take it seriously, show the way for others, and you will find honor in the kingdom. Unless you do far better than the Pharisees in the matters of right living, you won't know the first thing about the kingdom. Now, you're familiar with the command to the ancients, do not murder. Well, I'm telling you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister is guilty of murder. Carelessly call a brother idiot, and you might just find yourself hauled into court. Thoughtlessly yell stupid at a sister, and you're on the brink of hellfire. The simple moral fact is that words kill. So this is how I want you to conduct yourself in these matters. If you enter your place of worship and you're about to make an offering, you suddenly remember a grudge that a friend has against you, abandon your offering, leave it immediately, and go to that friend and make things right. Then, and only then, come back and work things out with God. Or say you're out on the street and an old enemy accosts you. Don't lose a minute. Make the first move. Make things right with him. After all, if you leave the first move to him, knowing his track record, you'll likely end up in court, maybe even jail. 
And if that happens, you won't get out without a stiff fine. Now, you know this commandment pretty well, too. Don't go to bed with another spouse. But don't think that you've preserved your virtue simply by staying out of bed. Your heart can be corrupted by lust even quicker than your body. Those leering looks that you think nobody notices, they also corrupt. Now let's not pretend that this is easier than it really is. If you want to live a morally pure life, here's what you have to do. You have to blind your right eye the moment you catch it in a lustful leer. You have to choose to live one-eyed or be dumped on a moral trash pile. And if you have to chop off your right hand the moment you noticed it raised threateningly, then better a bloody stump than your entire being discarded for good in the dump. You remember the scripture that says, whoever divorces his wife, let him do it legally, giving her divorce papers and legal rights. Well, too many of you are using that as a cover for selfishness and a whim, pretending to be righteous just because you're legal. Please, no more pretending. If you divorce your wife, you're responsible for making her an adulteress. And if you marry such a divorced adulteress, you're automatically an adulterer yourself. You can't use legal cover to mask a moral failure. And don't say anything you don't mean. This counsel is embedded deep in our tradition. You only make things worse when you lay down a smokescreen of pious talk, saying, I'll pray for you, and never doing it. Or saying, God be with you, and not meaning it. You don't make your words true by embellishing them with religious lace. In making your speech sound more religious, it becomes less true. So just say yes and no. When you manipulate words to get your own way, you go wrong. Here's another old saying that deserves a second look. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Is that going to get us anywhere? So here's what I propose. Don't hit back at all. If someone strikes you, stand there and take it. If someone drags you into court and sues for the shirt off your back, gift wrap your best coat and make a present out of it. If someone takes unfair advantage of you, use that occasion to practice the servant life. No more tit-for-tat stuff. Live generously. You're familiar with the old written law, love your friend and its unwritten companion, hate your enemy? Well, I'm challenging that. I'm telling you to love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the energies of prayer, for then you are working out of your true self, your God-created selves. This is what God does. He gives his best, the sun to warm and the rain to nourish, to everyone, regardless, the good and the bad, the nasty and the nice. 
See, if all you do is love the lovable, do you expect a bonus? Anybody can do that. If you simply say hello to those who greet you, do you expect a medal? Any run-of-the-mill sinner does that. In a word, what I'm saying is grow up. Your kingdom subjects. Now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously toward others the way God lives toward you. Now be especially careful when you're trying to be good so that you don't make a performance out of it. It might make good theater, but the God who made you won't be applauding. When you do something for someone else, don't call attention to yourself. You've seen them in action, I'm sure, play actors, I call them, the treating prayer meetings and street corners alike as a stage, acting compassionate as long as someone's watching, always playing to the crowds. They get applause, true, but that's all they get. It's when you help someone out, don't think about how it looks, just do it, quietly, unobtrusively. That is the way your God, who conceived you in love, working behind the scenes, helps you out. And when you come before God, don't turn that into a theatrical production either. All these people making regular shows out of their prayers, hoping for stardom, do you think God's sitting in a box seat? Here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet, secluded place so that you won't be tempted to role play before God. Just be there as simply and honestly as you can manage. And the focus will shift from you to God. And you will begin to sense his grace. This world is full of so-called prayer warriors who are really prayer ignorant. They're full of formulas and programs and advice, peddling techniques for getting what you want from God. Don't fall for that nonsense. This is your father you're dealing with. And he knows better than you what you need. With a loving God like this, you can pray very simply. Our father in heaven, reveal who you are. Set the world right. Do what's best. As above, so below. Keep us alive with three square meals. Keep us forgiven with you and forgiving others. Keep us safe from ourselves and from the devil. You're in charge. You can do anything you want. You are ablaze in beauty. See, in prayer, there is a connection between what God does and what you do. You can't get forgiveness from God, for instance, without also forgiving others. If you refuse to do your part, you cut yourself off from God's part. And when you practice some appetite-denying discipline to better concentrate on God, don't make a production out of it. It might turn you into a small-time celebrity, but it won't make you a saint. If you go into training inwardly, act normal outwardly. Shampoo and comb your hair. Brush your teeth. Wash your face. God doesn't require attention-getting devices. He won't overlook what you're doing. He will reward you.
Don't hoard treasure down here where it gets eaten by moths, corroded by rust, or worse, stolen by burglars. But stockpile your treasure in heaven where it's safe from moth and rust and burglar. It's obvious, isn't it? The place where your treasure is, it's the place you'll most want to be and end up being. Your eyes are a window into your body. If you open your eyes wide in wonder and belief, your body fills up with light. But if you live squinty-eyed in greed and distrust, then your body is a dank cellar. If you pull the blinds on your windows, what a dark life you'll have. And see, you can't worship two gods at once. Loving one god, you'll end up hating the other. Adoration of one feeds contempt for the other. You can't worship God and money both. So if you decide for God living a life of God worship, then it follows that you don't fuss about what's on the table at mealtimes or whether the clothes in your closet are in fashion. There is far more to life than the food you put in your stomach, more to your outer appearance than the clothes that you hang on your body. I mean, look at the birds. They're free and unfettered, not tied down to a job description. They're careless in the care of God. And you count far more to him than the birds. Has anyone by fussing in front of the mirror ever gotten taller by so much as an inch? All this time and money wasted on fashion. Do you think it makes that much difference? Instead of looking at fashions, walk out into the fields and look at the wildflowers. They never primp or shop, but have you ever seen color or design quite like it? The 10 best dressed men and women in the country look shabby alongside them. And if God gives such attention to the appearance of wildflowers, most of which are never seen, then don't you think he'll attend to you? He'll take pride in you. Do his best for you. You see, what I'm trying to do here is to get you to relax. To not be so preoccupied with getting so that you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way that he works, they fuss over these things. But you know both God and the way he works. So steep your life in God reality, in God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. And don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. Don't pick on people, jump on their failures, criticize their faults, unless, of course, you want that same treatment. That critical spirit has a way of boomeranging. It's easy to see a smudge on your neighbor's face, but be oblivious to the ugly sneer on your own. Do you have the nerve to say, let me wash your face for you, when your own face is distorted by contempt? It's this whole traveling roadshow mentality all over again playing a holier-than-thou part instead of just living your part. 
So wipe that ugly sneer off your face and you might be able to offer a washcloth to your neighbor. Don't be flip with what's sacred. Banter and silliness give no honor to God. So don't reduce holy mysteries to slogans. In trying to be relevant, you're only being cute and inviting sacrilege. Don't bargain with God. Just be direct. Ask for what you need. This isn't cat and mouse. This isn't a hide and seek game that we're in. If your child asks for bread, do you trick him with sawdust? If he asks for fish, do you scare him with a live snake on his plate? And as bad as you are, you wouldn't think of such a thing. You're at least decent to your own children, so don't you think the God who conceived you in love will be even better? So here's a simple rule of thumb guide for behavior. Ask yourself what you want people to do for you, and then grab the initiative and do it for them. Add up God's law and the prophets, and this is what you get. Don't look for shortcuts to God. The market is flooded with surefire, easygoing formulas for a successful life that can be practiced in your spare time. Don't fall for that stuff, even though the crowds of people do. Because the way of life to God is vigorous and requires total attention. Be wary of false preachers who smile a lot, dripping with practice sincerity. Chances are they're out to rip you off some way or another. Don't be impressed with charisma. Look for character. Who preachers are is the main thing, not what they say. A genuine leader will never exploit your emotions or your pocketbook. These diseased trees with their bad apples, they're going to be chopped down and burned. Knowing the correct password, saying master, master, for instance, it isn't going to get you anywhere with me. What's required is serious obedience, doing what my father wills. I can see it now at the final judgment, thousands strutting up to me and saying, master, we preach the message, we bash the demons. Our God-sponsored projects had everyone talking. And do you know what I'm going to say? You missed the boat. All you did was use me to make yourselves important. You don't impress me one bit. You're out of here. These words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life. Homeowner improvements to your standard of living. They are foundational words, words to build a life on. If you work these words into your life, you are like a smart carpenter who built his house on a solid rock. Rain poured down, the river flooded, the tornado hit, but nothing moved that house. It was fixed on the rock. But if you just use my words in Bible studies and don't work them into your life, you're like a stupid carpenter who built his house on a sandy beach. And when the storm rolled in and the waves came up, it collapsed like a house of cards. When Jesus concluded his address, the crowd burst into applause. They had never heard teaching like this before. It was apparent that he was living everything he was saying. Quite a contrast to their religion teachers. This was the best teaching they had ever heard. 
This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Jesus, your mercy and grace with us um, is astounding. That you know how we fail, you know how we fall short, yet you still encourage us with these words. Help us to truly believe that you mean everything that you say. That that's not idealism. That's the real path forward for followers of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you that you would give your son, that your forgiveness is so all-encompassing that it would cover even a sinner like me. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And that you would give your son for it so that I could have a place with you forever. Holy Spirit, convince us. You've convicted us, now convince us that we can follow Jesus, that we can live that spirit-fueled life, that we can be salt and light, that by your power, we can be a light that will draw others not to us, but to you. So give us the courage and the strength to trust you and to be obedient in the regular everyday stuff of this life as we anticipate that privilege of sitting by your side forever. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord and all God's people said, amen. Thanks for listening. You can find us online at www.fpc-kingwood.org. Our services are available on our website, you can also follow us on Facebook and find us on Instagram at FPC underscore Kingwood. We'll see you next time.